everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 149, our digital legacy, recorded June 22nd, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and with me, as always, are my good friends Chris, the command line godfather needs, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the wonderful world of Linux. Or at least Linux-adjacent conversations. Well, you know, no, Linux is the world that you live in. You know, we don't spend all of our time digging around on the world we live in, but it's always there. It's the bedrock that sustains and underpins our existence. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody at church today, you know, they know that I do a podcast every Sunday night. But they don't know what it's about. So a guy said, what do you, what do you podcast about? And I said, Linux. He said, yeah, that's enough for me to know I don't need to know. <laughs> there you go. Nice. So, but that's when you hit them with the, well, we podcast about life in the yeah. context of Linux. It's really a tech, what it's become is a technology news show. And uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and apparently it's a seven hour technology news show is the way we do things these days. Oh, <laughs> let's hope not seven hours here soon. But you know, hey, I'm 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 gonna go with it. I'm I'm ready to roll. I've decided I'm just gonna stop fighting the length of the show. I just whatever it is, it is. And um, you know, if you don't listen to it all on your way to work, you have more on your way home. That's fine. Uh, or your whole you week. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we just, want to be known as the commuting podcast. Yeah. Uh, somebody was asking me about it recently, and I said, well, basically, we have like a. Uh, you know, a 10 or 15 minute, just whatever, talking about whatever. And then there's usually an hour of tech news. And then we might tack on 20 minutes of actual Linux stuff, <laughs> a topic that we'll wave at as we drive by. Um, you know, that's that's sort of the structure of our show. And I'm okay with it. You know, I do try to at least make sure some of the stories, you know, are applicable to Linux in some way. So I mentioned earlier uh, last week in last week's show that a friend of mine was going was convinced he could make me a beer drinking soccer lover just if I went to the the American game the the first American game last Monday. Um, I didn't like the beer or the soccer. Um, just it oh, didn't no. work. It didn't take. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. It was. Yeah. It, it occurred. I had a. I had sort of a revelation about um, the soccer thing in america it's it's there's a culture of hooliganism that's what appeals to people not so much the game but the culture that goes around every game has its culture but in the soccer culture it's the only time where we're buttoned down white shirt guys get to pound their beers on the table and scream usa usa every time a goal happens uh and 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 you know can you can riot and it's okay and so i've decided that that's what draws americans to the game not the game itself because frankly it's pretty darn boring but the culture of hooliganism that goes around with it and maybe that's true all over the country you know you go to to england and you have the the guys who call themselves literally soccer hooligans and they're they're drunk on the what the equivalent what we'd call the end zone i don't know what what it is there but um, and they just spend all their time chanting drunken slurs throughout the game. Sure, that's a lot of fun, right? The game, oh, by the way, there happens to be a game going on over there too. You know, that's irrelevant. Uh, but right. it's drinking rabble rousing, drunken rabble rousing. So I, I think that's what I've decided soccer is all about. I'm sure the uh, soccer 
watching audience, the football audience will uh, will chime in and, and let me know how things go. But that's my take on it right now. Nobody actually likes the sport. They like the culture that's evolved around the sport. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. No, that's just like hockey. I mean, I, I know a lot of people. I love hockey. I love yeah. watching it, and people call it the, one of the most boring games on TV. But I per- personally, I love ho- watching hockey live in TV. It doesn't matter. But but, but would I'm you sure. watch hockey if nobody ever punched anybody in the face? Yeah, I yeah. still would. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I I think nobody watches NASCAR if cars don't blow up. Nobody watches <laughs> hockey, uh, hockey if if nobody gets punched in the face. I don't know why anybody watches baseball. Um, <laughs> I don't know why anybody watches golf. Uh, it's, they enjoy the scenery. Uh, uh, agoraphiles watch uh, sock, uh, golf because of the beautiful scenery. Something yeah, like I that. would watch more NASCAR if like half the cars were going in the opposite yes, direction. Yeah, that would be. There needs to be a chicane exciting. track. I remember when I was a kid, the our little uh, what they call those things with the trigger race slot cars. Yeah, they had a chicane, cars. right, where only one car could go, and if you tried to go, they, you'd explain. They need that, and then NASCAR would be even more popular than it is. It'd be it would be more than a redneck sport. It would be America's sport. If every there now and go. then two cars collided head on, yeah, that would be well, cool. They, I, I think they call that bump and run racing. So, <laughs> you know that that might be the next rendition of NASCAR is bump and run. That where the town where I grew up. Uh, not far away, there was a, a slightly larger town that had a uh, a half mile dirt track, and man, that was a lot of fun to go watch the super modifieds. These guys, basically airplanes on wheels, fly around this tiny, tiny half mile dirt track. And yeah, it was it was not usually a first second place finish. It was a first second place ended the race. You know, it was it was <laughs> these were the guys who limped over the finish line first, second, and third. Um, right, and it was a lot of fun, but only because of the wanton destruction. And you know, these were guys running uh, pure uh, alcohol with uh, a nitrous chaser in their in their wow. things that are essentially all spoilers because they're going around that short track so fast. You had to have big fins just to keep it upright. Um, that yeah. was fun. I, I can imagine. So what's this about Patreon Patreon love? Well, I just wanted to say thanks for the Patreon love. We've now have uh I don't know a few people, not tons, not dozens, not tens, but there are people out there who've actually decided to pay for every episode of the show. Who knew? Sweet. I didn't Sweet. know. Sweet. Uh so thanks for the original uh person who badgered me into doing it and uh thanks for you guys for showing up. We're up to I think 650 a show right now. Which, uh, Very cool. you know, it's 25 bucks a month. I'll jump on that. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that's you know, serving cost. Yeah, thanks. Or part of serving cost. Uh, thanks, guys, for, for super exceeding my expectations. Honestly, I expected nobody to care. I expected we'd get nothing. And when the first person um, became a patron, I was like, wow, cool. That must be the guy who suggested it. And then another, and then another, and I'm just blown away. So thanks for that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, patreon.com slash LMNOP, go check it out. There is literally nothing there. There is a an LMNOP logo, and it says, Mark is making podcasts. <laughs> There's nothing to see there. Help me, Maybe you can help me build that out. We've had some ideas for like the new shows that we cut from the show. We'll post to our Patreons. Um, and maybe actually talking about them, not cutting them, but like recording after and and putting those there. We've we've had some talk about doing that because I I want to I want to give some incentive to the to the patrons. I just don't know yet what it is. Um, you know, I thought about maybe you get the show 
uh, a day earlier, but I don't always, always have it ready a day earlier. So, and and I think most people in our audience listen to it whenever it hits their rotation anyway. So I don't know. I'll, I'll ask the, uh, the patrons uh, out there. What do you think? What would be cool? What would be something you would like to hear from us or have us do that's legal? (laughs) (laughs) I think Chris should strip on camera. No, oh, nope. Oh, okay, sorry. No, yeah, wait, it, hold on. Uh, we'll no, just do Chris that. will strip on camera unless you That's pay right. us money. Unless the only those who who support us will not have to watch Chris strip on camera. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks, guys. How yeah. come I'm the odd guy out? Uh, because you're the odd guy. Uh, okay. No, we're we're an odd group for sure. Uh, Seth, tell well, us yeah, about X Men: Days of Future Past. I ra- rambled about it a while back. I, you saw it this weekend. What do you think? You know, it was it really exceeded my expectations. Of course, you know, after having made X Men three, the fact that there was another one, I really exceeded my expectations. But no, I think they did a really good job. Um, you know, it was it took place in the future and in the past at the same time, kind of going back and forth. I really enjoyed it. They told the story well couple of places where i had to just check my brain out yeah, and go yeah. okay that's that's not possible yeah, magneto's yeah. powers but did you agree what i was saying about that is his powers were way overblown in this movie you know i mean to me not really no because in, in the comics he was he's one of the most powerful mutants who ever existed so the fact that he could do that wouldn't be that big of a surprise uh, to me know. but um there was just some other things like, you know, those Sentinels look like cutting age today, not cutting age 1973. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was the biggest thing I had. Um, but no, I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was really good. All right. Cool. So no spoilers there. Let us know what you think if you've seen it. I, it's definitely, I don't think it's a spoiler to, well, maybe it is. I won't say it. It's, it's definitely a, uh, a, a platform for future x-men movies you know in in the past they'd sort of done everything they could do and this i won't call it a reboot necessarily but it's definitely uh they've created a platform they can build for and uh, but you know it really kind of is a reboot because yeah i don't you you can't say it Uh, you know you can't explain why okay i mean Ah, i think ah, that you ah. have to know it no it involves time travel you have to know that you know that before you go to see it you can't have a movie involving time travel without stuff changing. Yeah. That's not a spoiler. I like the thing that's going around Facebook just today. I don't know if you've seen it with the, the Lone Pine Mall versus Twin Pines Mall. Like uh, BuzzFeed just discovered that 30 years later. Um, mm. Wow. What? They just now? That's just yeah. now making the rounds? Apparently BuzzFeed oh just now realized that. Um, wow. I, I, we Of course, I've seen that movie many times on VHS. Uh, and, uh, and we... I mean, that was one of the things. The he he knocks over one of the trees when he lands there, and then when he goes back, it's one it's Lone Pine Mall, and and that's one of the first hints that things had changed um, uh, in his life. But apparently, BuzzFeed just figured that. Spoiler alert, by the way, I'm ruining a 30 year old movie. Sorry. Yeah, don't you know we ruined <laughs> Back to the Future for you now. There's only uh, the name of the mall changes. That's integral to the story. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, I just wanted to say this. Seth is Seth is dedicated to this show. He is seriously optimistic about the life of Everyday Linux. He has gone through and renumbered all of our show notes with leading zeros. 
uh, so that when we hit you know uh, the next number, they'll still be sorted. He didn't just go three leading zeros so that we'd be good through nine nine. No, no, no. He he did four digits, four significant significant digits. So episode one is now episode zero 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 one, so that we can do ten thousand episodes and things will still be sorted properly. Seth is thinking long term about EDL. No kidding. You know, no and it kidding. wasn't so much, but I don't. Honestly, I mean, I doubt I'll live long enough unless, you know, the singularity hits um, to see episode 10,000. But episode 1,000, that that's very doable in, uh, you know, because that's only like 17 years away. And, uh, and you know, it just hit me one day. I was looking at it. I was like, what happens when we get to 1,000? Because a while back, I renumbered them to do 100, you know, because you had one, two, three, four, or you had – one and then 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 2, 20. I was like, I don't like that. So I put zeros so that it would be good when you got to 100. And I was like, when we get to a thousand, I don't want to go and rename 999 shows, which I would do if we were still doing it. <laughs> Better to just knock it out in the bud now. And I only had about 20 left to do and instead of renaming one i deleted it but because i wasn't the owner it ended up i only deleted my access to it and so i shot mark an email and said hey uh i kind of deleted the show it was the coffee talk episode one of our more popular episodes and so i got on google chat with them and said hey um i need to restore this file i deleted and uh since it wasn't my file i hadn't wasn't the one who created it uh turns out it wasn't lost so but yeah, it's good. We will live forever, <laughs> <laughs> one way or another. At least another eight hundred fifty-one episodes, Dad Gummit. I put the work in now. <laughs> and under the "go ahead and take my money" category, Steam Summer oh, Sale is going on now, coincided with a new humble bundle. Yes, um, the humble bundle. We'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, but yeah, the Steam sale is going on, and luckily. Uh, we're at day three as of the day of recording. Uh, I haven't needed to buy any of the mach- the games that are on sale because none of them either I already own them or they don't. They're not games I want to play. So so far they have yet to 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 you know take my wallet from me. But I know it's coming because we're only on day three and there <laughs> there's like fourteen more days to go. I'm almost sad. <laughs> yeah, have you seen that funny animated gif that somebody posted about that where the, uh, a guy's wallet getting sucked into a computer? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, that, that's exactly how I feel when uh yeah. when I see the steam sales go on, come up. It's like, uh-oh. Oh no. <laughs> Not another sale. There there and aren't I, there aren't too many things I get excited about, but some of them I, you know, I totally shut up and take my money. I, I don't want to hear any sales pitch. Just here's my money. I'm yep. throwing it at you. And I understand that some people are like that about the Steam summer sale. Oh, it's, it's bad. I know people that save up a whole year just to have four or $500 stashed just for the sale because of how, how well you can pick up a whole catalog of a certain company's, you know, um, so like the whole, for example, like if you're a big half-life, fan or the in that series there's like 15 games well they'll they'll discount the whole package from valve you know all the valve games so like you spend 200 dollars and you get every game they've ever released yeah. so that but you know you're talking of 40 to percent or less or more discount on each game so yeah i know people that dump tons of money 
in this in the spring in the summer sale and then again when the winter sale comes up so yeah yeah but it's a sale so that makes it okay uh, you know in the words of my wife i saved money by buying um I that's don't, usually how it works yeah. right haven't quite figured out how that works. I saved 50% on this. No, you spent 100% more than you would have if you hadn't bought it. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're looking at it as, like, for when I buy games, I always look at the ones that are, you know, okay, this is mainstream now. Is this going to, what's this sale price going to be in six months? Yeah. And if the sale price is exceptionally less than what I would have paid retail, eh, then I'll probably buy it. But so far, the only game that I'm really keeping my eye on has only got a 30% knockoff, and it's still too expensive for my taste. All right, that's enough from us. Let's hear from you in our listener feedback section. The first one uh, begins from a guy whose name I forgot to look at. Sorry about that. I'll try to come back and get to uh, get it. I didn't, Brian. Bri- Hannah, yeah. Brian, thank you. I never give last name, Seth. Oh, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Mark, Seth, and Chris, here's an interesting event that's coming up on Twitter. It has absolutely nothing to do with Linux, so it seems like an appropriate item to mention for your show. Thank you, Brian. Uh, from a University of Kansas news release, quote, on June 28th, the event that unleashed World War II and forever shaped the history, history will unfold through 140-character tweets in an elaborate reenactment, uh, e-reenactment, featuring more than 25 historical figures in multiple languages. Students, staff, and faculty at the University of Kansas, as well as local community members, have taken on uh, the Twitter personas of significant and minor participants in the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, excuse me, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which occurred 100 years ago in Sarajevo on June 28, 1914. These characters will treat, tweet as though the events were occurring in real time. Twitter users can follow along through the hashtag, uh, hash KU underscore WWI, WW1, um, which will provide dozens of historical perspectives, ranging from world leaders to members of the Black Hand terrorist group on the assassination that launched Europe into total war. Best wishes to you all. I don't know how many of you have studied World War One. It's less popular than World War Two. But the event, the events that led to the the uh, assassination of Ferdinand, make you believe in fate. Make you believe it was destined to happen. So many things went wrong, and then were counteracted by so many seemingly random coincidences that put the assassin right in front of the target. Um, really, it's it's fascinating, and I I hope they'll they'll play that out uh, in these tweets. But basically, the whole plan was exploded didn't work and then the guy who was who was going to pull the trigger was like on his way home when ferdinand's car broke down in front of him it was i mean they, these are not exact uh scenarios but it was something similar to that it was like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong he had given up and was going home and then he finds himself six feet away from his target wow it's enough wonder if that, that's almost creepy right it's enough to think that, you know, some things were destined to happen. I happen huh. to not be one of those destiny guys, but. Yeah. <laughs> or it was just a conspiracy involving people who survived without their, without being implicated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the story that came out about it. It's, you know, there was another gunman on the grassy knoll too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or no, I can't say that. If you're ever the in Dallas, if, if you're ever in Dallas, uh, you ha- you owe it to yourself to go to the West End and do the tour, 
go to the, the school book depository, listen to the official story, and then just go stand out on the corner. And it, you won't be long. Somebody will approach you and say, you want to hear the real story? That's where it gets fun. Because the conspiracy nuts just hang out there. And it's like they're, they're Mecca. Every conspiracy nut makes a trip to Dallas uh, once in their lifetime. And uh, just just play along with them. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. And they just they get foaming at the mouth, excited about it. They're shouting and spitting, and then it's just it's fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, my mom that way. My mom worked caddy corner from the Texas School Book Depository, so I was there a lot growing up. You know, like I'd go to work with her some in the summer. Um, it was it was cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, next bit of uh, listener feedback. Mike reminds us of the PlayStation Vita. Hey guys, was just listening to the latest episode, which wasn't the latest episode. This was a while back when I was shocked that my favorite podcast about life in the context of Linux made a gross error. The error I speak of is the news about Sony leaving the portable market. Not true at all. The truth of the matter is that they are finally ending the 10-year-old original PSP. The new PlayStation Vita is very much still alive. This is a great thing as well for games on Vita. Since the original PSP sold so many units, mainly in Japan, many game devs still concentrate on it instead of the new Vita. Hopefully, this will steer people to the Vita and get some of the great, uh, more great games out on it. Keep up the great podcast, guys. All right, so in our defense, we were reading an article that said PlayStation, that Sony's pulling out of the mobile market. However, you are right. The Vita is there, but it's very much a European thing right now in terms of, of its popularity. So, yes, it's there, and yes, we did gloss over it, so we'll apologize for that, but... In terms of uh, the American market, it's pretty much a non-entity. For now, yeah. I mean, there's a chance that it could turn over, but I don't really see a market for this in the Amer- in the American market. Um, yeah, because there's just there's too much gaming on phones, and uh, and for the standalones, I don't know that there's enough of a standalone market to support multiple players. I mean, you have Nintendo's the big dog and a couple of indie things out there, but I just don't think the market can support two major things anymore. The well, standalone handheld market's kind of gone the way of the standalone camera. They're still there, but, you know, your phone does it all now. The other thing is, is that I don't, you know, personally, I wouldn't want to, I mean, if someone were to give me a Vita, I wouldn't turn it away because I, I would find a use for it. But as far as what I want to game on, you know, it's just like when I say I don't game on my phone that often, because um, I don't. I, I don't want to game on something I strain vision. I would much rather have 21-inch monitor or a big screen TV in front of me playing my games. Um, this would be helpful for probably tweens and teens, but I, as you know, young adults or adults, I don't really see the Vita being a contender there. Yeah, and what what I base my objection or my um, opinion on is the fact that uh, I don't see it in the hands of any of the kids that yeah. hang around with my kids. And I live in a fairly privileged area where the kids have pretty much anything they want, except my kids. <laughs> and uh, they're the they're the ones who don't go on ski vacations over spring break. They're the odd man out. Um, but the Vita, the 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 PSP is scattered around, but I don't know anybody with a Vita. Um, now that's totally anecdotal, but it is my experience. Well, and you're not the only one that has experience. I'm in the same boat up here with all the, with all the, and you know, this is an oil rich country area where a lot of, a lot of the kids 
you either have really poor kids or really, you know, rich, I want, I don't want to say rich, but better off kids. And none of them have a Vita. They all have, you know, every time they have break time, they whip out their cell phones and they're watching videos or dinking around on little phone games. Nobody whips out a Vita. Uh, I don't even know. I personally don't even know any of the gamer people that I know that has a Vita. I know two guys that wouldn't mind one if they were given one, but they're not going to buy it because they have a 55-inch TV and a monster, you know, a whole gaming library of PlayStation 3 and 4 games. They they just don't, you know, they're going to take it if someone gives it, but they're not going to just go out and buy one. All right, and moving right along to the next related bit of message, Will chimes in about the PlayStation TV. He says, Mark, during the last feedback episode, you said, I think it was you, but either way, you didn't correct it, that Sony would not try for space in a $100 streaming box with games because they're too invested in the PlayStation. Well, Sony is releasing the PlayStation TV, a $100 streaming box that can play PlayStation games, PlayStation Vita games on your TV. It also has the ability to stream PlayStation 4 games from another room in your house. Just thought I'd make that correction. Uh, Okay, Uh, yes, that is a thing, Uh, but it's not really a $100 device. It's a $500 device because you have to have a $400 PlayStation 4 to get games on it. Now, it will play the, the Vita games, which is... I think even more pointless, you have a platform that isn't very popular um, being emulated by another new platform. I, I just don't, you know, you're going to, you can play mobile games on your TV. So I didn't count that. Yes, it's a hundred dollar box, but it's a hundred dollar add on. However, yeah. technically you are correct. Will it does. It is. It will be when it's released, uh, released at a hundred dollars. Uh, it's, it's in pre-order right now. Uh, and it does stream games and TV. So, I stand corrected. I said Sony would never get in that market. They are already in that market uh, in the in Japan and in Europe, and they're planning to release it in the U.S. Uh, I just I don't see what I meant when I said that, and and I and I, I stand by it. Is they're not going to put any serious effort into it? Yes, this is a another box where they can slip the same Vita chip into something else and go with it. But I don't think they're going to put any effort behind it. Especially with the Steam box and the ways um, the current versions of Steam allow you to, um, I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but Steam has something very similar to this PlayStation TV box where you can stream to another TV in your house. Steam box, the Steam OS already allows you to do that. So you can have a Steam box running upstairs and stream it through the network to your TV downstairs and with I don't even think I don't even think there's a hundred dollar charge to it. I think you just have to have something that can connect to your computer. So yeah, I I think it's going to be one of those things that is a great in theory, but when on great in theory and paper, but when it is actually shipped out, I don't think it's going to do all that great. So just to break it down, the last two uh, emailers corrected mistakes, but we still stood by our guns and said nanny nanny boo boo. So there you go. <laughs> It's our show. Darn it. We'll say what we want to say. <laughs> and sticking in the uh, the same vein of home uh, entertainment and streaming, Jay comments on Plex. He says, hello, Mark, Seth, and Chris. Just a little praise and a link for Seth's dev slash random this week. I've been listening to your uh, this week to your Plex CTO interview on episode 147 and love it. I have to say, Mark, uh, that I found the remote control cap- capability in Plex quite usable. A while back, I remember you mentioning your cheap mouse emulating remote, and I immediately went to elementopi.com slash Amazon and ordered one. 
I now have my Logitech Harmony remote set up to emulate the remote both my 7- and 5-year-olds can navigate. So maybe it's worth a retest among your family QA team. Now, to be to be fair, I was talking about the server version. I didn't even know that the client version existed. And so uh, Elon pointed that out to me uh, in the interview, and I haven't had a chance to play with it. But uh, uh, I so, yeah, I, I didn't even know it existed. And, and a word on that little remote, I ordered one of those like when I was talking about it. When I got the pies, uh, I needed a new one of those. So I went to alamonopi.com and I ordered one. Still hasn't arrived yet. It shipped out of Shanghai really? six weeks ago. <laughs> it still hasn't wow. arrived yet. That's what happens when you buy directly from China. But it was only like four bucks. So, you know, if you want it now, you can pay a lot more. If you don't mind waiting apparently six to nine years, uh, you can get it cheap. <laughs> uh, and following up, he says, I also, I ran across the following link today, which I think will work well for Seth's quest to drive down the productivity of the marketplace in order to make himself rise above the fluff. The site is pixeltrek.com, where you can command a small figure of Lieutenant Commander data around a miniature replica of the USS Enterprise. You don't have access to steer the ship for new worlds, but being able to explore a Starfleet class commode should keep countless geeks occupied for many hours. Seth, I'm looking out for you, fella. Love the show. Keep up the great episodes. The interview shows are really informative. Jay, P.S. To Seth, this week, watch Dr. Strangelove on Netflix, and when I got to the scene of Slim Pickens riding the nuke down, all I could think of was Mark on his little bouncy ball in his office. So that's from... from and uh, I just wanted to say, Jay, that um, I had found Pixel Trek, and it was already in my list, so I went ahead and made that this week's link. Um, because it, you're right, it is awesome, and I do need to share it. So, way to go, Jay. Great minds think alike, um, but on the flip side, so do demented minds. <laughs> and three of my coworkers now have balls. Just want to say. Uh, nice. They had sex change. No, uh, they, they're now sitting on exercise balls because they have seen uh, seen me. Uh, you know, they all ask me, is it is it good for you? Is it beneficial? I said, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to claim it's beneficial, but it sure is a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, a, a friend of mine just had back surgery this week. In fact, still in the hospital right now, one of my coworkers. And her neurosurgeon recommended that when she come out, she sit on a ball. Really? Yeah. So There it is. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on the internet, but there there's some information for you. Lastly, Dennis says hello. Hey, guys, I recently found your podcast and really enjoy the show on my ride to work each day. I'd never heard about Linux Academy until your show, and I just signed up. This is exactly what I've been looking for. I've been playing with Linux distros for years, but I never could find an easy-to-understand site like the Linux Academy. When I listen to the podcast, it feels like I'm hanging out with you guys. Thank you very much, and keep up the great work. And it's just, it's no coincidence that Dennis is the last bit of our listener feedback. And the next part of the show is our ad for Linux Academy, uh, where you can go for step-by-step video courses that help, designed to help take you from being a beginner in Linux to a Linux server administration ready to take your certification. Uh, you get your own set of Linux lab servers, up to eight different uh, machines that you can run. Uh, and some of their labs, you can run uh, multiple uh, ones of them interactively, so you can actually set up two servers and 
make them talk to each other. Most most of their things uh, are only one server at a time. You get, uh, along with the videos, you get PDF study guides. You get uh, uh, a lesson browser uh, set up so that tracks everything into the, the things that you've done, the things you need to do. You sign up for a module, um, and it tracks, it walks you through all the things that you've got to do, complete with practice exams and, and certification prep. And then something we often don't mention uh, in the show is is the the support community there the other learners there there's forums there and the and the instructors are there in the forums answering questions make you make a suggestion the odds are you're going to ha- either have that suggestion shot down or you're going to see new content almost immediately uh they don't ignore you they'll respond to you and again this is from um listener feedback that we've gotten about it not my experiences but people have said I, i'm in the forums i make a suggestion bam a week later there's the video that i suggested and unless you wonder about the quality of the content, content they went through uh, a voluntary certification process uh, through CompTIA and the EITA at uh, no, and the who was the other one? CompTIA was one, and I forget the other one. Linux uh, Linux Professional Institute, and both of those guys certified them as top quality uh, content. So this is this is stuff that is is going to be good, um, and it's not just my word for it, but but people who are in the business of issuing certifications said that this is top-notch content. So you can get all this sort of stuff. Um, if you just want to dip your toes in and look around, it'll cost you a dollar for a 14-day trial. So for 14 days, you can download videos, you can look at PDF study guides, you can poke your way around in the forums, you can see uh, what what you what's there and, and if you like it. And if when you're done, if you do like it, your 14-day trial will automatically convert to a $25 a month fee, but that's the most expensive package. $25 a month is the most expensive package. If you want to pay a little less than for, for that, you can pay for six months and knock it down to, to, to $20 a month or pay 19, uh, uh, annually and pay for only $19 a month. $19 a month for independently certified, top quality education. You're not going to find that anywhere else. You may find $19 a month stuff. You may find certified stuff, but I'm not aware of any place where those two worlds combine, where it's high quality and inexpensive. Um, and when you go there and when you sign up, because I know you're going to use the code Everyday Linux in the referral box, let them know that we sent you. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen the uh, oh boy, Oberto beef jerky commercial going around, but you know where he plays the guy's stomach, and he, you know, and his tagline is "You get out what you put in." Um, I'm sorry, it worked in my mind. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, Here's yeah. the thing, you know, you can't just pay on money and become a Linux guru, but if, if you want to invest the time, and I honestly think you should because it's well worth it, you can become very Linux competent. And again, you know, anybody can click on a mouse these days, you know, or a touch screen because everything's touch enabled because apparently the mouse is no point of having one anymore. But if you want to land a job in the field, administering Linux, you need to know the command line way to do something and not, um, I go to the repository and find the button and click it and type my password in a prompt that comes up. You know, yeah. that's not good. You're not going to get past the hiring manager that way, but you can learn the right way to do it. The, the command line approved way. Um, and then once you get the job, then you bust out all the GUI tools so you can get stuff done. Exactly in a right. Manner. But, um, <laughs> but you need to know the command line to get your foot in the door and there's no place better than the Linux Academy for that. Well, the nice thing is also by knowing the command lines, um, and learning how to do it the right way, 
or at least the command line way, you also learn where all those config files are that those GUI tools do touch. So even if you don't want to use the GUI tool or you don't want to use the command line tools, you still know where those config files are or those files that you need to create or edit f- to make Apache work or to fix your um, file permissions. These are all types of things that are covered with uh, Linux Academy and all things that a Linux guy should know. And by the way, Dennis, I hope you don't mind being a shill uh, for uh, for uh, an advertisement, but I do appreciate it when our listeners let us know that they've had a positive experience with our sponsor. So, I mean, our our brands are commingled now. Linux Academy is sponsoring uh, Everyday Linux, so that says something about them, and we are endorsing Linux Academy, so that says something about us. Um, and so, if 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 you have a good experience. I want to know about it. If you have a bad experience, I want to know about it. And so far, in all the uh, uh, months of of doing Everyday Linux, I've only had one guy write to me directly and say I had a negative experience. I pass that on to to the the guys, to Anthony and the guys there, and hopefully that's being dealt with accordingly. Uh, but you know, I, I appreciate getting feedback from you about our sponsors, and also it helps make nice segues uh, into different parts of the show. Another thing that makes nice segues into parts of the show or when there's news articles that we... Yeah, that failed. Um, according to German software uh, uh, security firm G-Data Software, it said it found malicious code pre-installed for your convenience on Chinese cell phones. You know, this actually ties in great with your uh, story of not getting received the things you order from china because yes. they haven't got the malware loaded on and yet. figured it out yet <laughs> so uh but yes apparently um a cheap brand of chinese made smartphones carried by major online retailers comes pre-installed with espionage software um and you know the star in 9500 blah 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 so you can just go to the article and you know you know, everybody knows, oh, the NSA does this, the NSA does that. And as we've pointed out, there's probably a lot more stuff the NSA does that we don't know about. But if you think that America is the only country utilizing whatever assets they have to gather data on anybody and everyone else out there, you're wrong. So, um, you know, Chinese do it. Hey, I'm sure the British do it. I'm sure even Switzerland is doing it, uh, even though they're neutral to everybody. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure somehow, some way, in some corner of the office that they forgot to tell that you don't work here anymore, he's busy trying to spread um, malware to make them the information capital of the world. Uh, it happens, people. Everybody does it. Um, no, you know, some countries are just better at it than others. My favorite part of this whole uh, article is the name of the uh, spokesperson for G Data, uh, Mr. Thorsten Urbanski. That's just a great name. I couldn't make up a better name than Thorsten Urbanski. Um, and uh, he says that uh, the uh, the malware that they found in the phone can turn on the mic, uh, can take pictures. Uh, can can collect personal data, can place phone calls, and uh, then sends all the the recordings and the pictures up to a server in China. So uh, I think under any circumstances, that is safe to call that malware. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Definitely. Yeah. Or Facebook, one of the two. It's either malware <laughs> or Facebook. <laughs> or uh, if you're going to go down that road, you might as well say Google Plus or Google Now. Yeah. I guess maybe maybe it's both. a preview of the new Facebook phone. Yeah. There you uh, go. Who, yeah. uses fa- who uses Google Plus, Chris? Come on, really? 
Oh, Google I, Now, man, it's awesome. Once you get once you get past the creep factor of Google Now, it's pretty darn amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love my Google Now. I, I yeah. I'm almost relying upon it now. So for the for three Tuesdays in a row, my coworkers and I happen to go to the same place for lunch. Just there's you know a handful of places that we go that we like to go to, but this time we had happened to go three Tuesdays in a row. Fourth Tuesday. At about 11.45, I get a Google Now card that says travel time to this place is about seven minutes. If you want to get there at noon like you usually do, you need to leave in a few minutes. And I was I was both impressed and creeped out all at the same time. I would probably destroy my phone if it did that. Uh. I, mean, I mean, come on. I live a dull, boring, and predictable life anyway. I already know how bad the traffic is. I don't need Google Now to tell me what time I need to leave. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, I never checked in at that place or anything. It was just GPS. You know, I mentioned uh, a, a few shows ago about the donut place that we go to. It just it just figures it out and says, oh, you've been going to this place uh, every Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Would you like to go there? Um, and so we did. No, actually, we didn't. But uh, it was <laughs> it was just one of those moments where it's like, man, this is the coolest thing out there ever. And I feel like I need a shower all at the same time. <laughs> Or two. Yeah. Speaking of feeling like you need a shower, the Supreme Court has put the smack down on uh, patent trolls, at least a little bit. It's a start. Yes. Um, again, uncommon sense uh, found, turns up in the uncommonest of places. Here there was a signing at the Supreme Court. Um, I don't remember if we talked about this particular case, but it's one of the patent cases going around out there. And um, the Supreme Court said, uh, if you're going to have a software patent, you might should have some software in it to be patented and not merely some abstract idea. Um, it says it sets a precedence for invalidating vague software patents that come before courts in the future. Um, golly, where was it at here? Alice's. It says uh, merely requiring generic computer implementation fail, fails to transform that abstract idea into a patent eligible invention. Cool. So you, you actually have to do something novel to get a patent. Who knew? Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, you know, if this stands, it'll be, it'll be awesome. And it could mean uncommon sense breaking out in the industry. So. And again, no, this is the Supreme Court of the United States. There is no, this decision cannot be overturned except by a future Supreme Court. And Supreme Courts never do that. Right. So this is now, for all intents and purposes, the law of the land in the U.S., that you actually have to have a reasonable patent. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Uh, that should have been the law years ago. Yeah. So now, now, but just thinking outside the box a little bit, with this ruling, though, as long as it's, when it, once it stands and it's uh, ironclad, how many previous rulings does this nullify? Well, each one of those would have to be brought back up, citing this as precedent. But yeah, there's, right. it's definitely possible that the Apple swipe to unlock uh-huh. uh, could be shut down, and and BlackBerry's double double uh, space bar gives you a period and a capital could be shut down. Those are both patented things right now that are so super simple that, in my opinion, they don't deserve a patent. Exactly. So, and and how many other lawsuits have we been ta- that we've talked about that are, you know, just patent trolling? So that that could now become null and reversed, this could be a really big game changer for the whole the whole technology world as we see it. 
Yeah, so, the extortion, ca- I mean, court cases um, could actually <laughs> be taken up a notch uh, if this uh, if this works has this works its way out because they were in the opinions that were offered along you know accompanying the judgment they didn't go so broadly as to say all um all things uh some filings involving abstract ideas may still be unique enough to deserve a patent but as a general rule inventors will have to do better than simply saying um i think two computers should be able to talk to each other here's my patent you owe me a billion dollars for the internet you know that that's a little too vague all right and speaking of other things that could change the technology world as it is how about a corset that gradually becomes invisible as you spend more time online. I many many men would encourage their female significant others to spend lots and lots of time on Facebook. Hmm. Definitely, um, it's. I don't know why I put this in here, but <laughs> I mean, oh well, yeah, I do. Uh, we all do, but <laughs> it's uh, it's just kind of. It's just weird. You know, you have this corset and it has this material and it's done with like a little single purpose pie or adreno type board um, that the more you're online, it turns sections of the corset clear. Um, you know, you kind of it starts out as one color and like the more you check in or the more you're texting or whatever, the more clear it becomes and the more of yourself you're exposed so on one hand it's like your modesty would kick in and say uh, maybe i shouldn't be online now you know uh there's other stuff to do and then on the other hand your boyfriend's saying no honey if you want to post on facebook that's fine <laughs> with me so uh, this just, is really more of an art piece than anything uh the video yeah. the tag at the end is uh online in the digital realm we're all naked all the time um, right but it's a clever use of technology, and uh, frankly, I'm all for anything that uh, uh, exposes. Anyway, I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, and, it's a safe place <laughs> to stop there, Mark. And say HP's time machine technology rethinks the basics of computing. Well, that sounds like an exciting headline. Yeah, this is um, probably should have went under the rumor section, but. They're kind of redoing the computer. You know, basically the model for the computer hasn't really changed in the last, I don't know what, 20 years. I mean, granted, it's gotten tons faster, you know, and, and components have miniaturized and it's become more mass market, but it's, um, it's basically the same thing. So there are like, wait, wait, hold on. I have to stop you. I said okay. time machine. I totally misread it. The name of it is the machine, not time machine. So, yeah. sorry. Uh, but yeah, a, a machine, and that's like what they're calling this computer class, could address 160 petabytes of data in 250 nanoseconds. You know, basically data would have to like stop and think to outthink it kind of stuff. So, um, but anyway, and they're not expecting to ship until 2018 and they don't, the memory necessary isn't even supposed to be available until next year. So, it's one of those it's really cool in terms of maybe what future computing can do but it's not really here yet but it's just like you know the computer uh times they are changing yeah this thing is supposed to to do 250 times as much as a modern server using 180th of the energy that's awesome you know it's easy to put out a press release 
it's hard to actually make something happen. Uh, but if they do this, I mean, it literally is a new way of doing things. And, and it will make, when you have that kind of power, uh, processing power, using that less little ex- uh, electricity, and it's small. It uses uh, like uh, one twentieth the space of an average. Series. I mean, the thing is like the size of two Rubik's cubes stacked together. Yeah, and it's tiny. it's the it's the power of a two uh, two U rack mounted server. Uh, so, or more powerful than that, actually. So when when that happens, I mean, literally, it opens the floodgates for all kinds of stuff. You know, I, as I've said before, our, our modern smartphones are are faster and and better than desktops were a few years ago. Well, this is a you know another leapfrog in that. Uh, so it's exciting, but frankly, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, it's but you know the it brings up a good point though. It, you know, this is coming out of HP's Moonshot Labs. Um, so. What else is hidden away in, in other big corporates moonshot labs? You know, the, the giant, you know, what's the next great big thing that one of these companies are going to rele- release? Um, if this is what HP's betting on for 2018, what else is in their hopper? And what, what is in everyone else's hopper that's, that's supposed to be their game changer? Um, it, it just makes you wonder what is behind some of those iron curtains. Yeah, and right along with it is uh, another technology that has been much talked about, but so far hasn't performed very well, and that's the quantum computer. Yep. Yes, um, the D-Wave 2, which was first released last year, is a self-proclaimed quantum computer, um, and it's commercially available to the public. Anyone can um, go out and buy it. It only costs $15 million, um, but um, Google said, it's only $15 million. Uh, we'll go ahead and buy it. So they bought one and they put it in there and it's, I mean, it's really cool. It's kind of a little different take on a computer, but they're studying and they're testing. It's not any faster than a regular computer. So it's not, it hasn't broken the quantum barrier. You know, they say, Hey, we think there's quantum stuff happening in this computer. We just haven't been able to find it yet and how it works out. So, if it is the first quantum computer, then quantum computing is overrated. Uh, if it turns out it's not the first quantum computer, it's just a computer that looks different because it's kind of a cylinder instead of a square. Well, then, hey, it's just a really cool art deco piece that, you know, Google probably would have bought even if it was just sculpture because it's only $15 million to them. And, and quantum is one of those most uh, uh, misused words here lately. Um, this... The theory of this is that the more complex the problems get, the better it performs. So at doing simple things, it isn't supposed to be better than a modern computer. But in theory, the more complex the problems get, the faster it and better it performs. And, and it speeds up. It sort of ramps up in its capacity. And what they're saying is we're not – it's really hard to test something getting faster. Right. As it gets more complex, we're not seeing that speed up happening, but our data isn't very complete just yet. We're just saying right now we can't we can't say it's working and we can't say it's not working. Um, but you know, quantum, it's not you know it's not looking at quarks and and that you know there's 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 all been all kinds of quantum computers. One of the the first things that I heard about in quantum computers was. Um, Using the uncertainty state, the uh, a quant uh, a quantum bit 
is both positive and negative at the same time. Therefore, a single piece of matter has all has the solutions to all problems <laughs> at all times. You have to it's observing it that makes it choose a positive or negative state. I'm way oversimplifying quantum physics right now. So physicists lay off. Um, but the the idea is there is that so far we've been able to create like two bit quantum computers that once you observe the state, you destroy them. So it's not not very functional, and I'm not sure what the technology is behind this. That's call that's calling causing to use the word quantum, but so far Google says eh, not impressed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like it's uh, it's not like they bought the emperor's clothes because it is a computer and it function as it, it functions as a computer, but <laughs> it has not made that next level yet. So. In terms, in that sense, it failed, but you know, it, it's still a computer. You can still watch YouTube videos. Oh, on right it. now, that's so, all you need. <laughs> you, know, you can still watch. You can still watch cats uh, on the internet and uh, and comment on people's Facebook posts. So, really, I mean, what more do you need out of a computer these days? Yeah, and, pretty much. and Google wins another patent lawsuit this time in France. Um, saying that uh or actually the the patents are owned by a french security firm excuse me um and basically this is a patent holding company meaning that's all they do is they own patents and uh they were trying to say that google was infringing on their patents and they lost yay well well, actually no they're not just a patent company they are an actual company that does stuff and they said that google was infringing upon their patents and uh so it turns out that these particular patents aren't necessarily anything because the court, uh, and this is weird because it came out of East Texas. Uh, right. So imagine that, you know, again, I don't know what the deal is with uncommon sense. Maybe, uh, we're getting a summer breakout of this, but, um, no, that's the reason I put this in the news article is because. This is an actual company that does stuff. It, they, they aren't just, um, they aren't just a patent holding acquiring company. They are a company and what I can't remember what it is they do. Um, but, uh, sorry. I need to start yeah. putting actual notes <laughs> in the notes section about why. And of course, it will certainly be appealed. Um, but, uh, what was interesting about this one is it was summary judgment. It didn't, didn't go to trial. Right. Didn't go before a jury. They just said, Judge, what do you think? And this uh, generally very uh, reliable uh, East Texas court system that usually mm. finds uh, against um, the pat- uh, finds in favor of patent holders and against Google and Apple and, and those guys said, Nope, uh, reading this, I don't, I don't buy it. So, you know, there you go. Um, I just, the, I'm hoping that that Supreme Court thing that we talked about earlier will will make a lot of these cases go away, that they'll be able to cite these, uh, this precedent, and, and these things will just not even be taken to court anymore. Um, who knows? Uh, we can only hope. And surprise, surprise, there's more dudes in tech than chicks. Yeah, this is... Um and it's it's like 70% men, 30% women. And again, this is just kind of like a case study at Google and Yahoo. And 60% and, white. 
So yeah. it's, it's white. It's the white guy. I mean, that's not surprising to anybody. White guys run the server rooms. Yeah, or Asian. You know, yeah. whites are sixty percent. Asians are thirty. Well, that's over nine out of every ten people. And uh, so you've got white and Asian men running these companies, basically at all. Le- and the fact is, they're more diversified in non-technical levels so when you get into the actual hmm. technicians people it's who make the stuff work then boom it, it's white guys and you know asian guys um a couple of women but mo- mostly men and it's just um yeah I, yeah I mean you know some people would say well anyway that Man, I really need to do a politics podcast or a current events type podcast because so many of these shows just lead right into almost rants or discussion yeah. pieces. So, well, you know, I've I've been on record yeah. before saying it doesn't matter. I don't see how it matters what the gender of a person is in any field. Women don't solve for X differently than men, or even if they do it differently, X is still solved. Um, right. I don't see that this is a problem. And when we had. Uh, Help me, Seth, with her name. Christy Eller. Christy Eller on, and, and she was talking about women technology. One of the things she has said is that women need to know that other that women can do it. Okay, I don't disagree with that, that uh, they look around and they see that it's a white guy or an Asian guy. It's easy to think that only white guys and Asian guys can do it. Um, so that's a message we need to get out there, certainly. But the the idea of pushing women toward technology roles or, or trying to have initiatives to get more women in technology or science and engineering and mathematics. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Yeah. I, I think we need to get more people, especially in America in science and technology. Um, so get more women, get more men, get more people. We need more boots on the ground in this field because there's, you know, I don't know. And again, that's, that's a great show topic for current events with Seth. Um, all right, moving right along, another patent story. The Chinese government let the cat out of the bag, and now androids uh, may be fighting back, uh, the Android Alliance may be fighting back against Microsoft for some of the things that they're currently paying royalties over. Yeah, you know, I don't remember if we actually talked about it a while back, but in Europe, some of Microsoft's patents related to Android were um, invalidated by um, the European equivalent of the patent office. Um, and so now, you know, of course, Microsoft says, hey, I'm going to make you this offer you can't refuse. Uh, you're using Android. I got these patents and you pay me or I sue you. And uh, But what are the patents, sir? I would like to know. Take it from me. You don't need to know what the patents are. But how can Just I know if I'm infringing, sir, if you I won't tell me what the patents are? And so, again, you know, hey, China hates Microsoft, apparently. And they <laughs> said, uh, hey, here's um, a list of those patents and what they can do, everybody. And so looking at them, everybody's going, that's a patent? Yeah, That's a patent? What, are you kidding me? This is what we've been paying money for? Um, and paying so money we, to the tune of $2 billion a year. Yes. I mean, because uh, Android is the most profitable uh, mobile system Microsoft has ever had, probably exceeding <laughs> profits from every other mobile system they've had um, uh, in the history combined of the world. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. And, you know, when you couple this, a list of what the patents are, 
along with the Supreme Court ruling that says um, it's got to be a real patent and not a pie in the sky pipe dream patent. Um, this Microsoft could take a big hit here. And, uh, you know, they might wow. actually have to, uh, you know, start writing some code or something. Yeah. Average estimates are that uh, for the Samsung Galaxy S5, Microsoft makes 20 bucks every time That's somebody buys crazy. an S5. Um, the 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 estimates range from ten to thirty, so I'm I'm cutting it down the middle and saying twenty. Um, so every time somebody buys an S five, Microsoft gets twenty bucks for for reasons unknown. Yeah, and suppose you know some of those patents turn out to still be valid, but suppose it it gets cut in half. Their their valuation gets cut in half. Well, all of a sudden, two billion dollars a year becomes a billion dollars a year, and you know you've just lost the executive <laughs> washroom. So you know you've you've got to charge, you've got to pay your little peons less, so all the big wigs can still make lots of money. Um, again, that's just me oversimplifying and trying yeah. to egg stuff on, but um, I think it's good because if the patents aren't if the patents aren't patentable. They don't deserve to be there. Um, right. If they are valid patents, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting paid for stuff you've actually done and not just a little cocktail napkin you thought of, you know, after you had one too many at the bar uh, and say, hey, what if computers, um, what if computers could shut themselves off if you didn't do anything to them? Well, by golly, let's just say that and we'll turn that in for a patent, you know? And again, because you've, you own lawyers, the lawyers have to litigate. Um, otherwise you're paying them to do nothing and you're a company. So you're not going to pay anybody to do nothing. So you have all these junk patents you bought for pennies and pittance and you said, Hey guys, go enforce these. Um, and you know, if we get a real case, we'll stop. But until then, just go see what you can do. Um, and they earn their salary and more to the bottom line. Uh, and you know if if you're losing money on on Android patents, don't worry, you can make it up in Linux. Yes, uh, Red Hat is. You know, it was just uh, a, it wasn't too long ago that we talked about Red Hat became a billion dollar a year company. Well, um, for the quarter that just finished. Uh, they had revenue of 424 million. Uh, so that puts them at about 1.5 billion. Um, and again, wow. I know it's more like 1.7, but I was rounding down to make the math simple because most people are Americans who listen to this podcast and we suck at math. Um, 17% gain over last year at the same time period. Yes. So, wow. I mean, that's yep. 17%. That's a lot of money. So, you can make money in Linux. You can make money supporting Linux. It's out there if you do it well. And, yeah. and how does Red Hat make their money? They sell support contracts. They they yep. give you the software that you they sell you support. And there's a model in that. Take you know that's why we do ads for Linux Academy people. There's money out there. You learn the stuff. You learn to support people doing the stuff. There's a career out there, and and this just shows it. Yeah, it's a good time to be a Linux geek. Yeah, it is. Hasn't always been a good time to be a Linux geek. Like grade school, for example, is not a good time to be a Linux geek. <laughs> but it gets better. No kidding. Finally, Skype updates Microsoft. Of uh, uh, excuse me, Microsoft updates Skype on Linux. Yes, um, if you stuck okay. with Linux, and I'm on sure Microsoft, most of us don't want it. <laughs> probably, um, but it does a lot of bug fixes. Um, 
you kind of have to go with Pulse Audio now, but it updates the UI and you can do group chatting, uh, and file transfers. So, um, again, you lose ALSA support, um, but you gain Pulse Audio. So, hey, you know, it's either win-win or lose-lose, depending on whether you like ALSA or not. But they are updating it. They didn't just, they haven't just abandoned it. Um, will it be better or worse? I don't know, but way to go, Microsoft, for supporting Linux. Thank you. Uh, I'll, have to see, I'll have to load up one of my, you know, virtual boxes and see how well it plays now with the uh, uh, Pulse Audio. Because I know there for a long time, I was having a lot of issues with Pulse. So, obviously, I haven't updated to this version. But I'll test it and then upgrade and let you guys know what I find out. Cool. And as the commenters on the story that we'll link uh uh, two in the show says uh, the the uh, ver- the the version is still way behind micro the Windows version. Yeah, um, that's not surprising in any way. Right, um, it's but, always been behind. It's right. always been behind. How long did it take us to go from what was a Skype one three or whatever it was to which had the old look to the current? Well, the look that we just got rid of and moved up to the new one it was what an eight year pause between yeah. versions. Yeah, obviously it's not the strength of their market, but they threw us a bone. Um, so there you go. Uh, last yeah, story of the week. Researchers find Android security on par with iOS. Wait, that can't be true. We've been told for years that Android uh, security is just a, a, what they call it, a toxic hell stew, I think was the yes, exact yep. phrase uh, at the, the developer conference. Um, no, it turns out. It's on par with iOS, which is, as we all know, is the perfect mobile operating system. (laughs) Definitely. Um, Marvel Security did a thing um, where they considered, um, they just, you know, considered Android and iOS to see which one was greater, which one was worse. Um, And the article says the perceived greater security of iOS rests on Apple's control of app distribution rather than on any inherent superiority of the OS over Android. Um, Marble analyzed the vulnerability of 12 million Android and iOS apps to 14 leading mobile security threats. Um, So, and it's just, you know, they kind of, it's, it doesn't say they're equal, but it kind of says they're on par. In some aspects, one is better than the other, but, uh, go figure. That's the way it is with every OS. Every OS out there does things better and worse than other OSs. And security is no different. And the mobile operating system is no different. Um, you know, there have been numerous cases where people have done, um, things to, or got apps through the walled garden that Apple maintains is the um, protector of all things innocent and virtuous that you could do things up to and including jailbreak your phone. Uh, of course, once it got out, then they would pull them. But just having that walled garden doesn't guarantee that nothing gets through. Um, and again, so part of the reason for their security um, supposed greatness is that they control what is that on the phone? But if you stay in the Google Play Store and you don't sideload apps, then you know you're really kind of on par. So, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the the Google Play Store has done a good job of of taming the wild west there. But I like the fact that you still have that checkbox. I want to load whatever I want to load. You know, yeah. if um in in uh, the Apple environment, you have to 
jailbreak your phone to get that checkbox. That's essentially all jailbreaking is, is it gives you that checkbox. Uh, so, you know, Apple use or Android users, excuse me, Android developers trust their users to make dumb decisions. <laughs> We're going to give you the power <laughs> to be dumb if you want to be, uh, you know. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what the internet was made for. Let me be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this week in history, 623-1969, IBM did something. Yes, um, IBM announced that effective in January of 1970, it would price its software and services separately from hardware, thus creating the modern software industry. So, um, before the end, the software you kind of, you bought the box and the software came with it, um, you know, or you, I guess you could add it or get it for free later, but they just said, Hey, we're going to sell you this box and then we're also going to sell you the software. So if you want the new software, you don't necessarily have to buy a new box. So they created the modern software industry low these many years ago. 35 years. Yeah, and, and wow. part of that point there, there were, yeah, you bought the hardware to get what it could do. So software was almost always embedded or, or you know, bootstrappable, and you bought a machine to do X, Y, and Z. And then they just said, you know what, we can sell the capacity to do X, Y, and Z to people who already own the machines. And there you go. And and. You know, that took a while. This was 1970. There was no such thing as a personal computer then. But even when the personal computer came out, it followed that initial model of you buy a computer to do whatever you want to do. And then you can write your own software to make it do something else. It took a while for that model to catch up in the personal computer market. So, you know, IBM, once again, being forward thinking. Yeah. They always seem to be, don't they? Yeah. And, and maybe right now. We're just in a lull. I mean, when was the last time IBM innovated anything that that we can remember? It's been a while, but you know. Hence the reason. Hence the reason I said that I wonder what's going to come out of everyone's moonshot programs because, right. or whatever they're going to call them, because it's been a while since we've had a game changer. Yeah, I. I somebody's going to invent some new processor technology based on saline crystals, and you'll put a drop of saline in your contact lens and it'll become a supercomputer. You know, it's going to be a totally different paradigm. Uh, I think we've pressed the copper transistors about as far as we can go. Uh, but then again, what do I know? I'm just a guy who bloviates into a microphone. <laughs> so that brings us to the topic of the week, which is uh, was based loosely on an article that Seth found about um, uh, digital extinction. But it again, I like to have these these thought experiments kind of topics, things that we just uh, talk about uh, between ourselves, and, and and almost always spawns a great discussion uh, with the with the guys. Uh, what 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 is the digital legacy? Right, everything everything we do leaves behind something. What is the digital legacy we're leaving behind? Um, for example, if you wanted to go track one down. You could find a Betamax player and a Betamax tape. Yep. And that digital legacy, well, it was still fully analog, but let's just go with it. That legacy exists and is still out there. LPs are still around. You can still cut grooves in vinyl. Uh, but, um, you know, in the digital world, we leave things behind very quickly. 
and often, I mean, where would you go to play uh, an, an old Atari cartridge? You know, you might you might find an emulator, but you're not going to be able to plug your cartridge into an emulator. You have to find, hope somebody else has copied that code off. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you know, I'll, I'll just let you guys talk a little bit, but that's kind of the direction I wanted to go is the the things we, now a lot of times the things we leave behind, we don't want, we don't ever want again. Nobody misses right. the, the gaslight guy whose job was to go around and light the streetlights. Nobody misses that. Nobody misses dysentery. You know, there, there are t- <laughs> times when we leave things behind and it's a good thing. And, you know, I think nobody is going to miss, you know, GW basic. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, you think about the Voyager that launched in 70, what was, help me out somebody, uh, in the seventies, we launched the Voyager spacecraft and, yeah. and you know, we had that golden record up there. And that was at the time, that was sort of the pinnacle of our technology when that if voyager were to come back to 10 years from today would anybody be able to play that digital record or that golden record probably uh, not what's what's the legacy we're leaving ourselves are we leaving ourselves you know old magnetic tapes that don't do any good anymore so that that's that's the thought so i will say now go make discussions <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you know, like one of the things that I see leaving, you know, being at our school, we just did a big dump of te- old tech, but there was a bunch of stuff that they're dumping that, you know, that once this stuff is out of the building, it's gone. There, I don't know anybody left in my town that has old Betamax players or the old reel-to-reel audio or um, video players. Um, th- th- that's all gone away. But we still have the rolls, we still have the tapes, we still have, you know, the Betamax tapes. But, yeah, I think we're ending up, we're, we're leaving a lot of stuff behind because no one has the quote-unquote time to upgrade or to re-archive a lot of things. Well, a while back, I had the opportunity to um, use a computer that, it was a Windows 95 computer, but we used it for a very specific purpose that... Windows 95 was just the the software that it ran on. It wasn't internet connected. It didn't do it. It just did one thing. Right. Um, and so an, an old Windows 95 75 megahertz Pentium was fine. Well, I had to do some work on it. I had to update the software. And I found that I literally could not function with Internet Explorer 3.0 on Windows 95. There's no website I could connect to. I mean, they, yep. it, just, it just didn't work anymore. Um, yeah. And that's an example of not just uh, of the the content but the entire platform that's been completely left behind well and that, and that happens every time i mean look at what happened with uh blu-ray and hd dvd you know we the hd dvd lost out and so now we have all of these hd dvds that are out there in the wild but no players to play them and yet and also nobody has drives to play them either to buy or to even swap Seth, nothing? Really? No, I don't, you know, I remember, well, we all know Voyager comes back as Vigor 1 uh, in the future, <laughs> and Captain Kirk will save us, so we don't have to worry about Voyager coming back anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It's like, I like old stuff more than new stuff a lot of times, and so I look at this stuff that is getting cast off, and by the time it gets cast off, 
nobody wants it anymore. But there was a time where that was the embodiment of culture and you couldn't live, you know, without it. Um, I remember an episode of head of the class where the teacher was talking about, and it was just kind of absurd and stuck with me. He was talking about, you know, how will, you know, a thousand years in the future, how will people look back on the Vietnam war? And so, you know, it's like, you know, apparently in America, there was a sweepstakes where if you won, you got to go to Vietnam, unless you didn't want to, then you, you burned your lottery ticket and moved to Canada. And, you know, it was just like, we'll, we lose the context of these things. And if you upload something to the cloud, to Google docs, well, there's been many times in the past where Yahoo, uh, MSN, Google, they've all done it where you've just lost your email and sorry for your bad luck. It's gone. Um, or if you keep documents, you know, I don't even remember some of the old, um, extensions that, but I had a job in tech support and people would call up, I have this old floppy and you know, and it's yeah. a dot whatever. And I can't get it to play on my machine. And I'm supposed to figure out one, what that was two, what program used to open it. And three, what program may or may not open it in some readable sense now. Um, so you did the right thing. You backed up your data. You have it saved, but technology has passed you by and you no longer have the ability to access. You know, it's one thing if you write something out on paper, um, you know, you can laminate it, you can stick it in environmentally sealed bags, you can lock it up in a safe and it will always be there. Um, you know, and you could put a dictionary along with it. So there would always be the ability to translate it. But what happens whenever you have this, uh, CD that, you know, and this is something, um, a person I go to church with used to be a assistant district attorney in a county. And I was just pat, made a passing comment one day about how CDs that you burn on, you know, the writers in your computer, how they go bad over time because it's just kind of die on a disc. And they were like, right. what? We archive everything on CDs and they're stored in this, you know, they're stored in the county in East Texas, which is really bad humidity. So what's going to yeah. happen in 10 years? This case comes up on a bill. Blank discs. Yeah. Yep. They'll be. And then, you know, but that's all the evidence. It's what we had. So I don't know. It's just, I don't know how to save everything because then, you know, what happens is you end up hollowing out the moon and making that a data center to store every bit of useless <laughs> junk that's out there. And, you know, you have millions of people all saving the same thing and it's, it's wasting space. But again, I, I just have lots of rambling thoughts about this. I don't have a coherent idea. Well, it's, you know, we've used the phrase before. It's no longer data storage. It's data movage. You have yeah. to move your data periodically. Right. Um, and, you know, and nobody and, wants to do that. I right. like I like I was saying about all the stuff that we just dumped out of our school districts. Um you know, I made the comment, you know, the there's there's stuff in that archive vault that we just dumped that had senior, you know, waves and and what 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 they call the senior plays and things like like that that dated all the way back to like the 60s. But nobody wanted to spend the time to archive that in case somebody else wanted it down the road. So now all this stuff that, you know, some of this stuff was like the current events of that day and age that were recorded from those, those teenagers' eyes is gone or will be gone shortly. And so it, it's just a sad thing to think that, you know, while we move forward and, and 
find bigger and better ways to store our data, we don't have anybody that's bringing the old stuff along with. And that's that's almost a sad thought. Yeah, it's you you think about um I'm a history guy, so I like to think about that. You go back to the the Library of Alexandria, which was really the first modern day gathering of information. Yep. And uh, you know, the uh the the Muslims uh was it the Muslims who did that came later. I can't remember. Um but uh the the uh the the library was burned and essentially a generation of information was lost. And that was, uh, you know, an invading force that did it, uh, and it was a malicious act. We're in a we're in a, a state now where there doesn't have to be any invasion. There doesn't have to be any um, maliciousness. Just apathy and ignorance will lose the data of a generation because yeah. because our new you know books can be seventeen hundred years old, and if you if you understand the language, you can still read the medium. What? What do we have that's still going to last that long? Um, that's why Voyager had a golden uh, a record on it. You know, it's non-corrosive. It's not going to last. Those grooves and uh, and and pivots are going to be there forever. But will the technology to play it be there? Obviously, they sent up a record player with it, I think. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, we, we, it's a whole new world where we're creating yeah. and discarding data you know at at dramatic rates and what the the question the digital legacy question that 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 I came up with was you know just what is important to save are those school plays important uh, you know probably not yeah. unless one of those people in the school play becomes the next great blockbuster movie actor and then that's important for a where are they now episode later on on VH1 you know um <laughs> you never know what's going to be important um, and so the human tendency is to save everything, but we're accelerating so quickly. I mean, the book, right, has been the standard for so long, but now who 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 prints books anymore? I mean, books, the, the printing of books has slowed down so dramatically that uh, we still talk about books, but, you know, books are PDFs or, or e-reader formats or... or you know, um, a text file in the cloud somewhere, there's the the number of actual books being printed is way lower, but we don't have anything as stable as ink on paper. Right. So we're in a situation where we're generating, we have the capacity to generate more data than we ever have before, and we have the ability to save. I mean, you could put the entire Library of Congress on a single SD card now, but is that helpful? Because if and the Library of Congress, it? if the Library of Congress goes away, is that SD card going to be readable to the people who need the information? Right. So yeah. the, I guess the question is, what is our, what is our responsibility to our grandchildren in terms of the dig, the digital data? What which what is our digital legacy? What is that? I mean, we we talk about our political legacy all the time. We talk about um, you know preserving our democracy. We talk about all that sort of stuff. But what is our responsibility digitally? Does anybody ever think about it? I, I do, yeah. but I'm an edge case in that. Yeah. I'm sure you edge case you yes head case too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think <laughs> this is one of those things to where. 
you could look at this as the exact same argument over um, should you teach Microsoft Office or should you have Microsoft Office or LibreOffice or Google Docs in school? And yeah. if you're teaching to a platform, you have to teach to the dominant platform. But wouldn't it be great if you taught the underlying how it works so you know the concepts and it's just a matter of what you're in? If we teach those who come after us to be passionate learners and to, you know, not necessarily just, oh, it's knowledge. And I, I you know, I need to know what Britney, Britney Spears fourth number one song ever was. But, you know, <laughs> if you teach them to respect history and to treasure knowledge, then they will make sure that the knowledge remains accessible. But, you know, if, if we just drowned our brains on YouTubes and mindless retweets of people who are famous because they're popular and popular because they're famous all at the same time, then honestly, does it really matter what steps we take to save yeah. the knowledge of the world? You know, so the, um, I, I guess the first step in, in preserving a digital legacy is having something worth preserving. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I'm having somebody who wants, you know, creating people who want to know it. So in a sense, you know, it's almost like, you know, what do drug dealers need in order to survive? They need people to use the drug. You have to create a market for your product. Well, we need to create a market for legacy. And we, and we do that by teaching, by teaching and inspiring passion and excellence in people. Well, so, you know, but okay, let me, let me, um, argue against that. The, the mundane becomes important all the time. When you find, the the diary of a civil war soldier that has value now great value when at the time he was just one of tens of thousands of soldiers writing a diary when when you find Anne frank's diary right that is important but the concept of a diary itself has never been important um you know and so you're you're talking about the tweets and and the the youtube videos the there is so much of that that is worthless how many personal diaries are worthless as well you can never know what is going to be important later on did did Anne frank when she was writing her diary think that it would change the you know um so many minds and hearts uh years and years after her death i doubt it she was just recording the life that went on around her yeah. and that's you know for better or worse that's what facebook is we're recording our sad lives on facebook (laughs) but who is you know is there going to be a play made about the facebook page of the next dan frank you know i mean what what's the parallel to that well you want to put it that way it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to go down that road you know back then if you wanted to to diary or something it took effort on your part um, you know, you had to take the time to not only put your thoughts down, but to compose your thoughts in a rational and thoughtful manner. And most people who diary or journal, if you looked at their early ones, they're just kind of puke on the page. But if you continue to do it, you refine it and your thinking, um, 
thought out statements. You're, you're thinking in terms of a, of a more kind of grand design. And now it has become so easy to transmit information that there is no need to put the thought to make what you're transmitting worthwhile. Um, when you had to take the time to write a letter to someone, you thought about what you wanted to express to them and how best could you express it. Now you just kind of, I'm bored. I'm just going to, I'm just going to close my eyes and bang on the keys and hit send and whatever happens, happens. There's no need to be thoughtful because I'll just, I'll just keep throwing and I'll have an infinite number of monkeys typing on an infinite number of machines. And one of them will somehow become a coherent statement is kind of what we've become. And it's yeah, sad. but, and, and I'll apologize for the, the sound of water running through pipes above my head. Uh, but that same, that, if all of the things were exactly the same, the same thought, the same effort were put into it, what is the medium of a diary today? Even if it's a personal diary, it's going to be most likely not handwritten. Uh, you know, it's going to be uh, on a computer. It's going to be on a phone. It's going to be in Google Docs. It, it, maybe it's a blog. Maybe yeah. you're doing it as a public thing. Where where do those go? Where Where does Edward Snowden's personal thoughts go a hundred years from now you know when we need to know the history of this man because he he made so many sweeping changes where are we going to go to find it yeah that's a good question and right now no one has an answer for that because we we, the world as we know it doesn't think that far ahead you know there are the few outliners who think that far ahead what will we do you know 10 years from now 20 years from now 100 years from now but nobody, you know, the average Joe on the street, they think day to day, which is kind of almost a sad thing because, you know, 50 years ago, they were thinking 10 years ahead. You know, we're, they're planning for their future. They're planning for their kids and their grandkids. Now you can have exactly the opposite problem of storing too much. Yep. You know, if I store every crappy picture I ever take with my digital phone, because now, uh, uh, with, with my digital camera on my phone, because now it's so easy to take photos the the good stuff gets lost amongst the bad stuff our our office computer in the in the house today um is no longer we won't turn on anymore you know and i've mentioned it i'm pretty sure on the show before it's aging technology it's dying i don't really care because it's just the kids youtube computer but my wife says to me you know we've we've got to get some of those pictures off of there there's you know there's kids pictures and i said oh, don't worry about it it's it's in the cloud carbonite it's backed up i'm not worried yeah. about it well okay that that's valuable to me now can i count on carbonite in 50 years and you know we, uh, if my daughter becomes president of the universe and we want to see some pictures of her when she was a child where will those pictures be still on the computer yeah. <laughs> the, the solar system inquirer will somehow find them mark don't worry <laughs> They will go back in time, and that will be the reason your computer doesn't work now is because the technology they used to access it destroyed it. So your daughter <laughs> is president of the universe in the future. You have much to be thankful for. Sorry. Uh. No, that was fun. I, I like that one. That was a good one. <laughs> and it's it's you can't predict, right? I uh, we don't know what the next technology is going to be, so we can't plan for it. 
and and there's an expense and you know it's i you know the data movage i talked about if i want to move things to a new format assuming it's a proprietary format say i wrote something in word a long time ago i have to hope that there's the modern version of let's use a more egregious example publisher yeah i wrote something in publisher microsoft has abandoned old publisher documents in its wake there's just a stream of dead old publisher formats because every time they make an upgrade they obsolete uh, it you know at least the last two previous ones and and so if i need that data sure maybe i have moved it along maybe i have that dot pub file but is anything going to open it like like seth you were talking about the floppy disk assuming you can still find a floppy disk reader somewhere right where are you going to find a copy of microsoft works yep um that's the other one that's always a horrible one. I've been doing that for the last couple of years, transferring everyone out of works because the school district themselves, you know, moved off of works on their own. And now we have thousands and thousands of files that are in these old works formats, but nobody ever thought about upgrading them to the current versions before, you know, they lost their machines. Of course, the beautiful thing is right now, OpenOffice handles it, LibreOffice handles it because open source geeks are concerned about that sort of stuff but yep. can we rely on that you know uh, I, google owns my soul at this point everything is in the cloud uh, google docs is the only thing i write anything in anymore uh gmail google plus google photos all my photos are automatically uploaded as soon as i take a photo it goes up to google cloud if google goes away and they, well, let's, let's not even be that dramatic if google changes its apis as it is want to do I'm screwed. Yeah. It's all gone. And and if I want to have a backup, I can do that, but I'm still I, it's too much for me to put on, you know, on a hard drive. It's uh it's it's I'd have to trust somebody else's proprietary cloud system. Right? So I I guess we're we're in we're running an argument now for open standards. Uh and and saying that's, you know, open source will save the world in that way, but even then what I can't access files that were critical to me just 15 years ago because they're on floppy disks yep. and they were important. And I saved them because they were important to me. I have a, we probably all three of us do have a big index file with, with floppy disks, you know, dozens of them, hundreds of them, maybe um, I couldn't access that data if I wanted to. And, well, you know, hopefully the important stuff I've rolled along but if I get audited and all my tax files are on a floppy disk, then what do I do? Yeah, see, I've I've been actually fairly, I wouldn't say smart about that. I've actually rolled all of my floppy disks out with my last floppy drive that before it went out. I rolled all of them because I was like, I know I'm never going to have another floppy drive. So I rolled all of mine out and onto CDs. But now I have to reburn it my CDs every couple of years because I don't want the ink to fade out on me. Yep. So I'm in a similar problem as the floppy disks, but on optical drives now. And so I'm waiting for something more long term because even the the lovely thumb drives that we can spend, you know, get what 120 gigabytes on now. You these can will get go a bad terabyte too. Thumb drive. Can you? Uh, yes. See, that tells you how long it's been. So I look for one. But you know, even these go bad. Yep. Yep. So. Especially if you it, put them in the washing machine, just to—I uh, <laughs> uh, can speak the from dryer. experience on it's that. The, it's the dryer that usually kills them, not the washer. No, trust I, wash- I, I found it when I was transferring the clothes, and I took it really? out. And yep, 
It, I've had I've, several go through a full wash and dry cycle, and we're fine. So really, you know, they're they're durable, but they're not invincible. No, but getting See, back to a, or a point you made earlier, Mark. Um, when I was in, wait, high, I made a point. I didn't realize that. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> getting back to a comment you made, I'll turn it into a point. Um, I don't know anyone who did this personally, but suppose somebody. Every tape, every VHS tape they ran in from the local store, they ripped to another VHS tape. And you, you set it on, if it were set to EP, you could do three for one. So you could have, you know, you could have 300 movies on a hundred VHS tapes. How are you going to get those moving forward? Um, you know, you, you archived and you backed up, even if it was things that you owned, you went out and you purchased them. And so you made a backup copy. Now, how are you ever going to play those again? It's almost okay. impossible I, to find. I can, an- I can answer that question. Not because I ripped uh, all that uh, stuff, but but stuff I, uh, um, you know, Seth, because you were around. I was in a band in college, and a lot of our stuff was uh, recorded on videotape. Even even that was a trick of the time back then to get high quality audio. You could use a forehead VCR and just record the audio, and it was hmm. so. I had a lot of stuff on videotape. So here's what I did. Back when I had a, a VCR, I plugged it in to my digital camcorder, pressed play on the VCR, pressed record on the camcorder, let it run in real time, then plugged the the um um what's the what's the thing firewire that's what it was plug the yeah. firewire from my camcorder into my computer again in real time played it down because it was now compressed uh, uncompressed AVI then ripped those to various mp3 mp4 or whatever i needed so those are the ridiculous steps i went through but if i had 300 movies at 200 hours uh, two hours each if i had 600 hours of video not only no but hell no that's just not gonna happen yeah right so all those things you own you then go out and rebuy just so you can have access to those things you love it's sickening it honestly is i wish there's a way that we didn't have to like I know this is a little off the beaten path here, but wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to rebuy all our stuff again and again and again? Yes. It's oh, nice God. for us, not nice for the people who sell it to us over and over. It's yeah. really nice for them when we rebuy it. Right. I mean, I, I'm not a Beatles fan, but people who are and who were around with the Beatles, they've bought the Beatles songs six, seven times now. Or more. They bought it They bought it on, on LPs. They bought it on cassettes. Uh, maybe they bought it on eight track right then they bought it on cassette then they bought it on cd then they bought it from itunes then they bought it from you know uh, amazon and then whatever uh and so yeah it's it's, that's that's a thing and and that's good if you're in the business of of creating something once and selling it multiple times but uh that that's what has to happen that's the only reason the beatles music is still around is because of the data movage if it was still the old original four-track tapes that they recorded at Abbey Road, nothing, nobody would ever know that. Yep. I think I'm agreeing with you. That, that, that's that's one of the. I think that's the biggest problem we have looking forward when it comes to how can we move not just our our personal digital legacy, you know, our, the pictures of our kids and movies and stuff of like that, but what about our our you know, society at large, how does that stuff get moved up and moved out so everybody can, you know, so we can look back at it in 50 years and go, look how silly we all were with our yeah. one meg channels and whatever, um, and our fiber optic connections to the doorstep. What the heck is that anymore? 
Um, but that's never going to happen unless something is figured out now. Wow. I just remember, um, my grandmother had this silent handheld, um, movie camera. Um, and me and my cousins just made, just were stupid with it and she let us play with it and we had those you know we i probably haven't seen those things in over 30 years um i don't even know if they're still around but if they are they're in a box in a room that has a bunch of my grandma's old stuff and i honestly i don't know how i would be able to play those today i would have to go to some place and pay money to have it transcribed to a dvd or you know a file that i could then access Wow. By the way, I, it was bothering me. I had to look it up. One of the multiple, uh, one of the final acts of destruction on the library at Alexandra was during the Muslim conquest of Egypt in 642 AD. So, yeah, me for remembering correctly. And the guy <laughs> said, um, when he, when he was somebody questioned him about burning them, and he was like, well, it's either the Quran that we already have or works about the Quran that we already have or it's useless junk. Um, and he, they were used to heat the baths. So yeah. it was a, a sad day for literature all around. And again, yeah. we're not just picking at Muslims. Uh, Christians have been known to go through and destroy paintings and stuff because they thought God objected to it. So every religion has done stupid yeah. stuff. In Ever the heard of the of Crusades? Religion. That's not the best time to be a Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I think, I don't know that we had a point. We had a discussion, but you know, the, it, it certainly wants to spur me to action to, to move my data to to make sure that the things are imp- that are important to me make that transition and you just have to be hyper vigilant about it yep. every time you smell a change in the air you have to make that change i missed the floppy disk to cd change i missed that chris you didn't you were smarter than i was um for now <laughs> i i have i have invested in the cloud as a way to get my stuff off of my my computers and onto more uh, uh, less failure prone computers, mm-hmm. but that's you know that's just the step now. The you know there's going to be another step. Um, uh, what's well, a service I can't remember? There was a service I used to use to store all a lot of stuff. Um, it wasn't. It was a video a picture service. I'm. I don't remember, um, but it went away, and I didn't get my stuff off of it. It was a service that I was using, a free service, of course, because I'm a Taiwan, that I was using and storing stuff that was important to me, and it went away, and and I lost my stuff. This is not that they didn't warn me. It's that I just didn't take the initiative to do it. But, yeah, yeah. Right. again, it's, it's the, the, the catch-22 of knowing what's important before it becomes important. Well, and that's why you have to think. You you have to try and figure out a way to be as as forward thinking as possible. And the other thing that always bothers me is there's no easy way to convert from file to format to file format. Have you guys ever noticed that? You know, there there is no batching of files. You know, that where you can throw the file, you know, the folder into something and have it magically change over to the new current format. There just isn't a magic way of doing that yet. And I think. If that would ever come to pass, I think a lot of times a lot of our issues with old formats wouldn't be such of a big deal anymore. 
I, I guess we're all out of things to say. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to call this discussion at an end. Um, I, just, I don't. Yeah. I, these things are always unsatisfying to me because I, I bring up questions and we don't have answers. But, yeah, uh, well, but maybe our audience at large will. You know, what's your thoughts on data, you know, on, on the whole digital legacy? Do you guys have, maybe you guys have a better way of doing something that we're not th- talking about? Bring us feedback. We want to hear. Yeah. You know, I just, again, nobody, nobody's going to do this, but if we took the time to think things out before we say them and not waste so much time on the mundane junk, then, what we then had Twitter would go away. Say, well, it would, and <laughs> Facebook would slow to a trickle. But then what was there would be worth keeping, and then people would make sure to keep it up. You know, now, do I care about the stuff on my Facebook? You know, I there's some things in there that are important, but by and large, most of it is, you know, me re- resharing George Takai stuff and uh, copying funny pictures I find. So... You know, there's a little bit of good mixed in with the day-to-day stuff. So I don't care about it. But, and again, that goes back to my point, is you never know when the day-to-day becomes a treasure trove. Yeah. If we could find a day-to-day diary of um, somebody killed in the the Vesuvius uh, eruption at Pompeii, that would be a gold mine. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine the stuff that would be in there? That'd just be... Not just on money wise, but that would be an awesome thing to just have to hear, you know. But that's, you know, even if something like that did exist, it probably would never be out for the public to view because it'd be in some guy's library that was hidden away. So it's the that's the thing that galls me about this whole process is you never know what's going to be important. So it's kind of if you're thinking about your di- digital legacy, you have to save everything, and it's it's. In our day and age, it's not impossible to save everything. I mean, I could I could wear a camera, I could wear Google Glass, and have it recording twenty four seven. It is possible to 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 save everything, but then you got to figure out how to keep it, how to move it, how to keep it current. Uh, and it's a it's a daunting task, but one I think we as a society, as a global society, we're going to have to figure out how to do this. We're going to have to figure out how to preserve our digital legacy as more and more of our life. Eventually the word digital will be assumed. Just be our legacy because everything is, is moving digital. So, uh, you know, gosh, let's go super uh, far into the future. What happens when your consciousness is digital? How do you store that? How do you move that from format to format? <laughs> I mean, Kurzweil, that's what he's hoping for. Yeah, he's yeah. hoping to download himself. What would, how, how ironically, tragically ironic would that be if Kurzweil downloads himself into a proprietary format that nobody supports in five years? He lived long enough to, to, to reach the singularity, and then he becomes data rot. That's horrible to think that way, though, you know? I think it's it's an awesome thought, but man, that would I would be pissed if that happened to me. You know, I would just be an irate, even if I'm stuck in some you know 386 spinning my wheels. I'd be a pissed off program if all you know I lived to the point where I wanted to be, but then I'm forgotten and now I'm in a format that can't be moved. You know, I mean, and they solve this in uh, 
man, names are just not coming to me today. The the Matt Groening show about the Cyclops and the delivery guy. Um, that was, you know what I'm talking about. He was. Oh, Futurama. Futurama. They solved that in Futurama. They just preserved people's heads. So you yeah, could yeah. go visit Richard Nixon's head and talk to him. Um, and so that was his legacy was secured by cutting off his head. Um, but, but until we figure out how to do that, we got to figure out how to save all this stuff and keep it current. Yeah. yeah. And and you know the danger is as we get older, we stop being current. I mean, how many of you, how many of your grandparents are up on current technologies? Um, uh-huh. So then it then it becomes you know like I was saying a few weeks ago, it's up to us to preserve the legacy of this vanishing World War II generation because they don't know how to do it. The, the, it's passed them by. We've got to do it for them while we're trying to figure out how to preserve our own legacies. Yeah. 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 Okay. Moving on to Chris's link of the week. So this week, um, I, like I said earlier in the show, uh, where Steam was trying to suck my wallet away from me, well, so does Humble Indie Bundle again. Uh, currently, they have a quick indie bundle sale going on for raising a hundred percent uh of their purse or their the proceeds from these this particular bundle go straight to the doctors without borders charity um so they're in the show notes will be the link to the humble indie bundle um they're doing some sort of live gaming session with with other people and they have 10 games currently on the list that are available for people that are, you know, that will donate $25 or more. Um, it's approximately a $90 game pack at this time. And 100% of anything you donate goes directly to the Doctors Without Borders charity. Um, a great, a great charity, a handful of great games. Um, I'm curious to see if they're going to throw any more into the pack before, towards the end of the system or towards the end of the, um, the week. So if you are a humble indie bundle person, um, these may not be indie bundle, uh, indie games, but there is a ton of them, or at least 10, uh, that are great, especially like Psychonauts and Dust Force. Those are, those are two great games that are just phenomenal to play. Uh, go get it. By the time this show comes out, you'll have about probably two to three days left in the timer. So, Please go look and see if these games, you know, even if you don't play the games, go donate to the charity. It's worth it. All right. And Seth, you've kind of already told us what yours is, but your link of the week is Pixel Trek, baby. Um, Data can walk around the Enterprise uh, in 8 bit super awesome glory and spend way too much time in a regulation Starfleet bathroom. Uh, and if you want to go back in time and find our poop log episode where that was my <laughs> link of the week, you know, maybe that's why you can go to these bathrooms now, uh, in Starfleet, but yeah, pixel com. uh, you know, data can get all the way around the ship and go places and look at stuff. Uh, you control data, you know, you walk around with him, with your, I haven't really figured out how to do anything once I go anywhere, but um, he's he's there. Uh, again, I, I don't know what he does, but I'm trying to make him do stuff, and he, I, I haven't yeah. been able to figure you, out how to do You can't talk to anybody or anything. You can just walk around. Yeah, but you can explore the Enterprise in um, all of its 8-bit glory. So pixeltrack.com. Um, you know, hey, share it with two friends at work. Uh, that's all I got to say. 
<laughs> you know, another thing you should share with two people at work, this show. Let them know about this show and, and, uh, and any uh, formats that, we, uh, that, that you download this show, if it's on Stitcher or, or uh, iTunes or whatever, however you get it, let people know about it. Let people know that these three guys do a crazy nine-hour show every week uh, and, and that some of it is even about Linux once in a while. <laughs> we try. We do try once in a while. Uh, and as as Chris said, feedback. We crave your feedback. We're we're feedback zombies. Give us more. Uh, and the way to do that is go to elementopi.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. That will bring up a form that sends a nicely formatted email straight to my inbox where I give it priority attention. If you don't want to do that, if you want to skip the middleman and send an email to all three of us, that's edl at elementopi.com. Um, or if you want to be on the show, we haven't had anybody for a while, uh, do a... Uh, uh, voicemail, you could do that by calling 559-IMOP and leave a message on our Google Voice as long as that service is still around, um, and uh, we will play your uh, comments on the air. We appreciate your comments, both good and bad, uh, and as you've seen, I'm I'm not ashamed to put stuff on the show that makes me look bad, uh, because it, you know, it just, it is it is what it is. I'm, I'm all about honesty. So we appreciate you being with us. Honestly, 149 shows. Seth is planning on uh, 750 more, uh, so we're, uh, we're excited about that, and uh, we look forward to you uh, being with us then. But for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Home.